Just a few weeks ago, my family and I um, took a vacation up to Alaska. Usually we try to uh, extend our vacation when we come here to camp. We always try to make it here to camp. And a lot of times we'll be able to do camp plus just a little bit. But this time we uh, had Alaska on our list for a long time and it was time to go. So we had uh, got all ready, got all packed up, got the flights, um, flew up there, rented a car, and we were excited to see what, what was going to be up there. And we came to the Alaska Native Heritage Center. And at this Native Heritage Center, they have uh, all of the major cultural divisions or groups that are up there in Alaska. They try to represent them all because they're, di- they're a diverse set of people up there. It's not just uh, the one, one set of people. It, it's a, a group of people, a, a set of people. And the purpose of the Alaska Native Heritage Center, I'm going to read it to you, is to educate and enlighten, engage and interact, to ask questions and discover. And it's to try to help us all to, uh, to just be able to understand a little bit more of their culture on a one-to-one personal basis. And if you watch their little uh, preview video that they have, uh, at, before you get up there, um, you'll, you'll hear one of the natives up there, an Athabascan Indian, she says, you know, these young people that are the docents that are showing you around, they're wonderful, energetic, vibrant young people who are representing their culture, their culture daily. Really, they're young ambassadors. And so it's exciting. We're going up there, and, and sure enough, we go in, and it's a, a well-done place. And as we go in there, um, you can spend, oh, I don't know, hours just looking at all the exhibits in the little museum there, but one of their big draws is that they have actual... Uh, a village set up with actual houses of each culture, or at least a half a dozen of them. And so we were excited to go out and to go see how these people live together. And the Athabascan Indians, they live in groups to 30 to 40 people. And when you come up to the hut, all of these huts, homes, uh, community centers, if you would, um, they're thick walls, and very small entrances. Actually, they have to enlarge them just for the public to come in because usually you'd have to be getting down on your hands and knees and crawling through a 20-foot tunnel to get into some of these. And as we entered the first one, um, it's a a smaller room, and then there was this little door, maybe about that tall, and uh, you have to kind of stoop through this door into another room. I think it was bigger, actually. And as I stooped through the door, there was the docent. It's like, wow. And so there we were, you know, she was there and I was here. So I, I said, can, can you tell me a little bit about your culture? And with her eyes averted, she says, only if you make me. Only if you make me. Now, I'll tell you, it didn't take too much to get her to talk. And, and I made her, I guess I made her. Um, and she really had something to say. But... That phrase, only if you make me. You know, on the one hand, they're thinking that they have these wonderful, energetic, vibrant young people who are ambassadors, and they are ambassadors, but only if you make them. And really, as I thought about this, as I stood there, maybe after I stood there, I'm like that. 
Lord, I am your ambassador. I will follow you. I will go when you say go. But all too often, it's only if you make me. I'd like if we can turn to St. Mark chapter 5. I want to read uh, just a little bit about three men in the Bible. Three men in the Bible and compare and contrast how they reacted to God's call. St. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read about, um, this is a a familiar story, the uh, Gadarene demoniac. And you say, what's that? And, and if you'll remember, I'll give you a little uh, jump ahead. We're going to read that uh, this was the man that was possessed by a legion of devils. And as he was possessed by a legion and, and Jesus cast those devil out, devils out into a, a herd of swine and 2,000 ran down into the sea, um, we're going to see what his response was and what, what happened there. And, it, and they came unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, And when he was come out of the ship, this was Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. No, not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountain and then the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran. This man, who was possessed by demons, ran and worshipped Jesus and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Jesus, Come out of that man, the man, thou unclean spirit. And he, Jesus, asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And besought him much that he would not send them, that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what was done. What was that? What it was that was done? And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and that had the legion sitting. He was sitting and clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. And they saw it, told them, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray to him to depart out of their coasts and when he was come unto the ship, so Jesus was being asked to leave. And so as Jesus was being asked to leave, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I want to go with you, Christ. I want to be with you. Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. Go. 
Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed. And he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. There it is. Just that last verse, those last two verses. Jesus said, don't come with me. I want you to go to your friends and tell them what great things God hath done. Go to your friends. You know, the brother last night, you know, that that was a theme. Go. But a lot of times in our minds we think, well, that means I got to go. I got to go somewhere. Somewhere. Not here. I got to go somewhere. Somewhere far. Okay, I'm going to do that. Maybe. Someday. I'm going to go. When he, when he tells me I'm going to go. But here's the problem. That someday may never come. And it might not be far that you got to go. Go might just mean to get out of bed and go out the door. It might just mean to put down your video game or your newspaper and go talk to somebody. Go means go. Let's not get it in our mind that it, it, has, it has to be some great and magnificent thing. You know, just talking to the missionaries, you know, they're mission. They're people. You know, you're talking to one. Oh, what do you do there? Well, you know, just they need a lot of cooking and a lot of cleaning, and there's a lot of service just in maintaining the flow of daily life. Wow, that sounds like my life. No, maybe Lori's life. Go, and here is the key for the most unlikely. This demoniac, as it's called, he's called, this man who is possessed by a legion of devils, when he is told to go, he goes. Wow! Lord, if I can be like that man. And where did he go? It said, go tell your friends. And so this man goes out and it says he went to Decapolis. Decapolis, it's, it's, a, it's a, an area of 10 cities. He had a lot of friends. But it was right there. And it wasn't a happy place. It wasn't a place that there were a lot of Christians already. No, this was, this was a place where he came from, more than likely where he got those devils, if that's where you get devils from, a city. And what happened when he went? And he shared what great things God had done? Jesus didn't tell him to go convert the city. He said, just go share. That's all. Just go share what great things God has done for you. And it said, and all men marveled. It didn't say they were all saved, but they all heard what the Lord had done for him. And I think that's another error or fallacy that we have, that Satan sets up in our heart, that, you know, we got to go convert people. We got to go win souls. No, we have to go and preach the gospel. God is in the business of converting souls. We just need to go and preach the gospel. That's it. The good news. And preferably, how it applies to us. Okay, turn with me to Exodus. We're gonna, so, the first man, possessed by demons, right? The second man, 
he didn't do so hot. He's more like me. Maybe the third man's more like me. We're going to talk about Moses. Not to say that I'm like Moses. But we think of Moses, and we think, wow, he's a great guy. This is, the Jews revere him. You know, he's a great man. But if you will turn with me to uh, Exodus, um, chapter 3. We're just going to read a couple verses there. And if you remember, here Moses, he was down in Egypt um, when his parents had him as a young child. Uh, he, was, he was supposed to be killed. So they hit him in the bulrushes, and the, the Pharaoh's daughter picked him out, and he was raised for 40 years in the Pharaoh's house. And after 40 years, he, he ends up killing an Egyptian because he, he sees how they're treating his people. So somehow he still had this connection, even though he was raised in the Pharaoh's house, he still had this, this feeling of community and connection with his people. And not really in a wise way, that's the first way that I am like Moses, right? Not really in a wise way, he goes and he kills the Egyptian, and he has has to flee Egypt, right? And he's now out in the wilderness for another 40 years until God calls him and says, you go back because I'm going to deliver my people. Not you, Moses, you're not going to deliver. God is going to deliver the people, the, uh, the Israelites. And so we'll start with chapter 3, verse 10. God says to Moses, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says, Great, no. And Moses says unto God, Who am I that I should go? Who am I? Lord, not me. And then we're going to go to chapter 4, verse 10. And there's a lot of verses in between there. And once again, God's telling him, you know, you need to go. And Moses says again, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow. And He's looking for any reason. And this is how it is again with me, right? Lord, oh, not me. I don't want to do that part. I'll do these other things. Whatever I think I want to do, I'll do this and send somebody else. No, Lord, not me. And the Lord said unto him, verse 11, who has made a man's mouth? So Lord, uh, Moses is trying to use the excuse, well, I can't speak well. You know, who am I? Who am I to stand up here? I, I belong up in the recording room. That's where I belong. That's what I did for the first, I don't know, 25 years of my um, Christian life, or the, well, my life maybe. Who am I to go? And the Lord says, who made your mouth? Who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go. God's telling him to go. This is the third time. And I will be with thy mouth. I'm going to help you, Moses, and teach thee what thou shalt say. He's going to teach him. God is his personal, our personal. He is going to give us the words to say. Don't worry about it, Moses. I am going to be your mouthpiece. And what does Moses say? And he, Moses says, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Basically, anybody but me. Lord, anybody but me. Don't send me anybody but me. And then, finally, Moses ends up going, well, anybody but me. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You never want to be in a position 
where that is written about you. It's not that he is mad at, oh, no, no. It's not that he hates you. It's not that he wants you to burn in hell. No, he loves you. But you and I can still make him angry. This is not a good thing. So, of course, Moses finally does go. And I'll forego the the history that, indeed, he does go. Uh, The Pharaoh does let the people go as God has prophesied and helped along. And indeed, for the most part, Moses lives a life that's in obedience to God. Okay, the third man, Jonah. We know about Jonah, right? Jonah 1, verse 2 and 3. Uh, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up from before me. And Jonah said, only if you make me. No, he didn't say anything. He just got up and went. But his action said, only if you make me. Okay, let's read a little bit more then. So, you know the story. He flees, he gets on a ship, he goes out this, he's trying to get as far away from where he's supposed to go as possible and the waves are churning and the men are in danger, the people that are in danger and they're casting out, lightning the ship and Jonah's down sleeping. And finally the captain comes down and says, Jonah, what are you doing sleeping? Come up. So he comes up and, oh no, that's another thing you don't want written by you, Jonah 1.6. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Right? And the men on the ship, everyone, we're going to cast lots. We're going to find out why we're in this dire strait. And they casted lots, and it fell upon Jonah. And then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee. They're making him tell him. You're not going to say anything. You tell us why we're here. You tell us why we're in this great storm. And in verse 9, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which has made the sea and the dry man land. Then the men, then were the men exceedingly afraid. You know, in one way, it was a good thing for Jonah to flee. Because these men that were on this ship, I don't know if they ever would have got to hear the message of God. So the smallest comfort we can take is that when we are disobedient, hopefully that there is a little bit more that God turns to good. But we don't want to be disobedient. We want to go where God wants us to go. We want to do it. And we want to do it right away. I think I said this before. Right away, all the way, cheerful way. This is the rule when the kids are small and when they're old. And for me. Right away, all the way, and in a cheerful way. Because that's what every parent wants. Could you take out the trash? Oh, you know? And that's Lori saying that to me, and I'm saying, oh. No. This is, this is just our reasonable service. Our reasonable service. So, these men, uh, you know, how, how do we get out of this, Jonah? 
Well, throw me overboard. Oh no, we can't do that. And they rode and they rode and they rode. It's like, okay, over you go. Now, let's go back to only if you make me. And let's go back to how Jonah reaped because of what he did, said, acted upon. You know, that was what his action said, only if you make me. Lord, I'm not going. Only if you make me. Then he was thrown into the deep. Have you ever been out in the ocean? How about in a lake? You know, I, I, I kind of grew up by the ocean. It wasn't, you know, the ocean has sand, you know, the first, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 feet. You know, it's sandy, a little bit of rocks, you know, fresh water always. The time. You go into those lakes and they're kind of, there's like these weeds on the, on the ground and you're walking through and they're squishing through your toes. And it was always, you know, you, there's going to be a snapping turtle out there, right? And he's going to take your toe off. But no, out in the ocean, it kind of gets scary too. I remember I was, I was um, just kind of swimming off the coast, not too far, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60, 100 feet out. And, uh, and when you're swimming in the ocean, there's all these sounds that you hear, but you don't know what they are. And it sounds like a thousand little lobsters with their claws clacking and they're coming after you. And then finally you realize, oh, no, that's just the tide going back and forth and the rocks are rocking back and forth on the bottom. That must makes them round, right? They just kind of go back and forth. And this is just the rocks clicking. It's not a thousand little lobsters. Your, your mind runs away with you, right? And then you're going along and all of a sudden something grabs your leg. But it's not really grabbing your leg, you know. It's just kind of a rock you were swimming by and the tide kind of pushed you into it, but you didn't know, you thought something was coming at you. And then maybe you dive down to see what's coming up, and you come up and you stop, and there's seaweed kind of wrapped around. You didn't see it coming, and it just kind of, it, it pulls you down like a rope. And this is what Jonah was going through. It said that the weeds compassed about his head, and, and something did come up. And it didn't just bump him, it ate him. This is, this is something that you fear, we kind of think about this and it's like, yeah, Jonah was swallowed by a fish. But do you realize the terror? You know, he wasn't being a brave man, just cast me out, I'll be okay. No, that's what had to be done. But I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. And I'm sure he wasn't happy when the weeds were wrapped about his head and that fish came up and swallowed him. Only if you may, don't dare God. So Moses, no, Jonah, he finally went. Chapter 2, the word of the Lord came a second time, saying, arise and go. And so Moses arose and went. He should have done it the first time, but he didn't. He arose and went. This is us again. A lot of times with Moses, it was a little bit of back and forth. Lord, please, no, okay, no, no, back and forth. And you finally go. Jonah was just the next level. No, only if you make me. And so Lord made him. And so now Jonah learned his lesson, right? So, but he's going, and he's supposed to go to Nineveh. It's a three-day journey, and he waits a whole day before he starts talking. I don't know if that was just, that's where the people were, or if he was still being a little bit stubborn about it. And it seems to me that he could be still a little bit stubborn about it, because when he starts preaching, and when they, when they convert, when God does the converting and they repent and they turn away from their wicked ways, he's upset. He's, he's upset about it. And that's another thing that this is, this is our nature. You know, I remember the first time that I purposefully, willfully 
disobeyed or did not listen to my father. I was probably 9, 10, 11. And, and don't get me wrong, I know that I was a disobedient young child. And I know that I did many things that my parents didn't want me to think. But I think this was, I didn't think about it in general. I just did what I did, and it wasn't really registering. I can't remember all those things. I hear stories about all the things I did from a little kid every time you go to a reunion. Ah, somebody remembers when you were young, this is what you did. And I think they make up these stories, really. (laughs) But there was this time that I remember distinctly where I was... I was a latchkey kid, really. My mom worked, my dad worked. And uh, after school, I would come home. And I don't know what I, I normally did, but I remember this time I was in the garage. And the way this garage was, it was detached from the house. And there were boxes, moving boxes, something packed up. So you couldn't really see the side door where you came in. You couldn't see inside from the outside, really, without coming in and looking hard. And I remember hearing the voice of my father looking for me. He was calling for me. And normally I would just say, yeah, here I am. But before I had a chance to say this, and I think this was Satan, but it wasn't. It was really my dad's friend that was with him. But it could have been. It probably was Satan working through him because before I can say, here I am, my dad's friend says to him, what if he's not here? Or no, he doesn't say that. Here's the Satan part, right? What if he doesn't answer? That's what he said. And my father says to him, oh, he always answers. And I thought about that. And while I was thinking about that, they walked away. Kind of changed my life. It went from not even thinking to not do or not respond. Dude, this is a choice. And oftentimes, thereafter, I knew I had a choice, and I used it to my advantage. <clears throat> Only if you make me. You know, in our community, our little community, you know, when I heard that Eastern Camp was booked, solid, it was full, 940 some odd people registered, almost 1,000. What a community we have. And it's a very, uh, we have a very strong sense of community. It's interesting as you go out and commingle with your neighbors and friends in your, your local geographical community, the more you talk with them, the more you realize that they're looking for what you got. They're looking for some long-term friendships. They're looking for some stability in their life. They're looking for somebody that can, they can talk to and share life with and, and be with. Generation after generation, it seems. They long for the relationships that we have. And even though we might not see each other but once every year, twice, three times a year, depending on where, where you are and where you live, that, that is such a strong tie. What a great heritage is there. And somehow we say, yeah, Lord, I'll share this, but only if you make me. Another strong thing we have is the hospitality portion that, you know, these are biblical things, right? The fellowship, as iron sharpeneth iron. The hospitality, we have hospitality coming out of our ears. We go to visit people, we go all over the place in this world, 
And somehow there's somebody we know and we stay over and we, we commune with them and we develop a bond. You don't find that in the world. It's so rare. You know, we have our customs, not our doctrines, and we have our customs that promote godly living. I remember, oh, it's been many years ago now, but there was a, a group of, um, of concerned parents in our, in our locality, and they're trying to figure out, they knew as they were uh, growing up as young men and women, and as they went through their college scene and the high school scene and the dating scene, they knew that after they got married and they had kids that they didn't want their kids to date. And so there was this whole, you know, you can buy books on courtship and all these different things, but they didn't know anybody. They thought it was just a theory that somebody wrote up. And they really wanted to talk to us. They were so surprised when somebody you know, in their, their circle said, oh, I know somebody who, who they got married and, and they lived out over there and, and they never dated. It's like, what? And so Lori and I went and we shared with these people, these strangers, acquaintances, you know, our engagement story on how, yeah, she lived in Ohio, I lived in California. No, we didn't date. You know, if we talked 40 minutes over the whole course of our life before I asked her to marry me in faith, I'd be surprised. And they were, they were encouraged and amazed. And it's it just, you know, people just share our stories. <clears throat> Going back to go. I'm just talking about the daily day-to-day, go. Just a lot of times we, we're just wondering, what is it today, Lord? What do you have for me today? And I often think, you know, what did Abraham do every day? He had his tent, and he had his servants, and he sat by the tent, and what do you do out in the tent? Right? Did he have... Every day he had a new experience. Every day he had angels coming to his house saying, I'm going to destroy that city. I'm going to destroy it. No, those things happen once in a while. But that wasn't all the time. We, we read in scripture and we read about great efforts of the missionaries all throughout the, uh, history. And we think that this is happening all the time. Most of the time in our lives, it is this day-to-day living that we are called to do. And so, Where you go, where you are, is where you need to share. And it might not be every word. It probably won't be every word. But there are opportunities. We need to keep our eyes open for those opportunities. And how do we need to live? We need to live our values every day. Live our values every day. Love. L-O-V-E. Live our values every day. Galatians 5.22. Turn with me there because that's a, a very important thing if you remember anything tonight. And you know what? I think most everybody will know this here. We need to share the fruit of our lives, the fruit that is grown up, nourished, fertilized here, that is given by God, we need to share this with those that we come in contact with. And this is what we need to work on. It says, here's the fruit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So daily, we need to look to see if those fruits are growing in our lives. And if you don't know what all those words mean, they're pretty straightforward. Look them up. Write yourself a definition. And say every morning, Lord, are these fruits in my life? Are these the fruits? These are the fruits from you. And these are fruits that every, against such there is no love. Everybody likes these fruits. Everybody wants these fruits. These are unique fruits in the world. And share them. And, and don't make God make you share them, but share them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Living our values every day. I, I want to do just one more small compare and contrast. You know, I talked to you about the Athabascan um, girl. And once again, it's not that she didn't know what she needed to share. I don't know if she was shy, but it didn't seem like she was shy because she snapped right out of it and, and was able to share. But, or she just maybe was ashamed of her culture. And I know that sometimes we can be ashamed. We feel like we're ashamed of what we have somehow. It's a trick of Satan's. We should share what we have. But I want to contrast her with a bus driver. As we were up in, at Denali Park, we drove all the way up to Denali Park, and there is this road, uh, 30 some odd miles out, and back, 67 miles round trip. And he's a bus driver. And he made it very plain I'm just a bus driver. I am not a tour guide. If you want the tour, you go take the tour bus. This is just the bus out and back. But he's a pretty smart bus driver. And he knew. That on our way, we're going to see some caribou, we're going to see some grizzly bear, we're going to see some uh, doll sheep, we're going to see some wolves, maybe yes, maybe no, um, some moose. And so, you know, he's no spring chicken. He's done this 950 times. And so he's learned some things. And so he shared with us. And in our lives, you know, in those down times when we aren't sharing we need to be plowing up and fertilizing and growing. And so there are certain things that you will need to know in life to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do you know the reason of, of why you are where you're at? You need to know the basics of Christianity. I would think that we all do, but if you can't articulate them in a, in a fashion that's interesting... If you avert your eyes and are kind of ashamed, this is a problem that we have. And we need to work on that. So when somebody does come and they're asking us, and really, it's just like we're a bus driver. You know, this guy actually had a college degree. He had a couple certifications in wildlife and, and whatever else. Um, but really, I'm a bus driver. You know, we're not that high. We're not that mighty. We... In, in our lives, we're to be that meek and mild and humble, but we're to be that special set-us-apart, peculiar people that is always ready to give an answer. So that when we walk out that door in the morning or going to work or going to school, when we go, we can share our fruit willingly. May the Lord bless his word.